You know, the last time I spoke, I um, was finishing up a series that we called Depressed, and um, it was dealing with the issues of depression and anxiety, and um, uh, we talked about the broken soul. And uh, since that time, I've not been able to shake off um, the fact that I felt that God had not finished with the whole subject of the human soul. And, um, and that we all, as a church, need to be very clear with regard to our thinking uh, about our soul. Um, and so I'm going to speak over the next um, weeks on uh, the soul, and we've entitled it Soul Rescue. Uh, how to rescue, how to care for, and nourish, and keep your soul forever. Um, and so um, I'm going to read this scripture to you that Jesus said. Um, he said this in Mark chapter 8 and verses 35 and 36. He said, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So how many know, for Jesus to talk like that, we're talking about very serious stuff this morning. Now let me tell you, no, you, no one is here by chance, uh, and, and some of you may even felt on the way that you felt with the snow coming down, I always want to turn around and go back home and light the fire and, and, and make it all cozy, and, but something kept drawing you to this place. You are here because God wanted you here. And, and this morning, um, I, I want you to see that Jesus, he presents us and confronts us with four profound realities. Number one, he, it is that your soul is of great value. What shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? And so the thing that I want you to go away with today especially is the value of your soul. Uh, it is the concern that you need to have about your soul. I, I want you to see that your soul can be lost. What is it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And so we're going to see today how your soul can be lost and how does that happen? And, 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 and um, what is the path by which I travel that I lose my soul? And then we're going to look, thankfully, that your soul can be saved. And so we're going to look at that, at the way that that happens. And then your soul should be cared for, should be guarded, and should be nourished. And so in the series, God willing, we're going to look at these things. And um, today, I want to, you to be very clear of what is your soul. And now I was brought up to believe that I have a soul, uh, and it's on the screen here, look, read it as I said. I have a soul, my soul is inside of me. I can't see it, but it lasts forever. I, I want you to read that with me, right? I want you to get this into your mind, and then I'm praying it'll drop 18 inches into your heart, all right? So this is what it says. I have a soul. Well, let's start again, right? 
All right, nudge the one next to you and say, hey, read this. Just tell them. Okay, come on. I have a soul. My soul is inside me. I can't see it, but it lasts forever. You know, Jim Parker, Packer, one of a great, great preacher, uh, he says that your soul is your conscious personal self, the I that knows itself as me. And so it is the you, the soul is the identity, identity that makes you who you really are. It is the seat of your memory. It is also the seat of your feelings. Uh, how many know you have feelings that can get hurt? Yeah. And it is the seat of your feelings It is the seat of your imagination and your convictions and your desires and all of your affections. They're all tied in to your soul. So let me tell you why your soul matters. There's four reasons. Listen, your soul matters because your soul is breathed into you by God. In the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, Uh, You read this in chapter 2 and verse 7. The Lord God formed the man of the dust from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So Adam was created in two stages. This first man created in two stages, two steps in the process where God gave him life. And grasping this is of huge importance to you and to me this morning in knowing who you are and why your life is of such great value. Grasping what I'm saying right now is so important to that. You see, the fact is that first of all, when God formed man, it says he formed man of the dust from the ground In other words, he fashioned Adam in the dust of the ground. He formed his body from the dust of the ground. It was made from the dust of the ground. Now in this way, the man and women were similar to the animals. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 19 says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. And so it was that now we share in common the way that our Creator made us. It was the fact that He made us in the same way that He made the beasts and the birds. He made them from the ground. And that's why God says, dust you were and to dust you will return. Genesis 3.19 says that when we die, that is precisely what will happen. Whether it is you're buried in the ground or burned in an oven, I want to tell you, you will return to dust. But there is a second stage to the creation of man that never happened with the animals. The second stage for Adam was this, the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. He didn't say only he became a living body, he became a living soul. 
And so God breathes life into this corpse that is lying on the ground. And now it makes Adam different from the animals. He is more than a body. He is a living soul. This soul is capable of knowing God. This soul is capable of enjoying God. And this soul is capable of sinning against God. It is all tied into the soul, something the animals cannot do. And so Adam has something breathed into him by God that makes him different from everything else. He has a living soul. And you and I have a living soul. That's what makes us different. It gives us the capacity to know God. It gives us the capacity to relate to God. It gives us the capacity that the animals could never know. And the fact is that we can relate to God. The heart of it is seen when God says in the scripture that you are made in the image of God. God has breathed life into you, his life into you. That it is that that what brings life to your soul. And, and I want to tell you something. What your soul will never end. And not only is it the fact that God breathed into you and you became a living soul. But your soul is the source of all your achievement. James chapter 2.26 says this. The body apart from the spirit is dead. And think about this, everything that is important in your life and that you will say, yes, that come from, it came from my soul. Think of it in the world of music, the symphony, the classic rock. Where do those things come from? They come from the soul of the composer, whoever it was that wrote it. You know, at Christmas time, a family that are in this church, the Mitchley family, they surprised me and bought me a ticket to go and see Handel's Messiah that was being performed out at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'll never forget that night as I heard the music and the words, uh, music and the words being the word of God now put together in such a remarkable way and amazing to see what had come from Handel in right in that it came from his soul and then what about the whole world of art the ability to depict beauty through um, the hands of the artist where did that come from and every artist will tell you there is something from within that now gets on the canvas it's something from the soul that now comes and is able to be seen on the canvas think about science why have women and men pursued science? Where did that come from? Why did they do it? Why did they even have an idea to do it? It comes from a desire within the soul to know and to explore and to discover and to understand. 
Think of it in the world of business. If you were to pick up any business book that's telling the story of any great company of the world, you will find that it boils it down to someone, a woman or a man, that began to get an idea on the inside of them about creating a business that would bless people and begin to do something. And so the vision came from the soul. It came from inside of the leader. Think about the world of sports, and you may say, well, surely sports depends on the body. It's the body for sports. Well, James says the body without the spirit is dead. Every great sport achievement has come through relentless commitment and disciplined desire and determination that uh, sports women and men have, which is, of course, born in their soul. They, they put, we say it, don't they? They put their heart and what into it? They put their heart and soul into it. This is the time of year when people, people are flooding into the gyms after Christmas. And they're there for the cultivation of their bodies, When I meet someone who is super fit, really bulked up and super lean, and sometimes it's when I'm looking in the mirror, actually. (laughs) Why did you laugh at that? (laughs) I've said to some of them, this has come from your soul, all the work you put in. In sculpting your body came from a desire that's in your soul. Without that desire that was in your soul, you would be a couch potato. Your soul is what gives your gives direction to your body. It's your soul that motivates you. And all that you achieve in this life, everything that's achieved in this world. It arises from the life of the soul within you. Not only is it the result of all our achievements, but thirdly, your soul is the cause of all your sin. James chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, Each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desires. Why do we sin? Where does it come from? How does it come about? James 1.14 is very important, a very important verse in the Bible because it tells us how temptation works. Temptation comes through the world, the flesh, and the devil, the Scripture says. The problem is, wherever it comes from, wherever it originates, wherever it comes from, it attaches itself to our soul. Hey, listen, friends, our souls are sticky when it comes to sin. Sin attaches itself to our souls. If this wasn't the case, then temptation would not be a problem to us, any of us. If it wasn't the fact that sin comes and our souls are sticky to sin, it is that sin attaches itself to our soul. And if that wasn't the case, then we could, we could forget all about temptation and it would never bother us. See, if your soul was pure, 
When you saw a house that you couldn't afford, your soul would say, I can't afford that, I don't need that, and we would move on. But often we buy beyond our means because sin attaches itself to our souls. The problem is, is that we're not pure. So what happens is we see something, whatever it is, in, and someone else has it, and we say, that's what I want, and it sticks, and it causes temptation to stick. And James says we're enticed by our own evil desires. The principle of greed makes your soul sticky to materialism. That's why advertising is so effective. That's why companies spend billions of dollars trying to now come with um, advertising. Uh, They know that what you see and you think about, you want it and you have to get it. And it is that now it sticks to your soul. It's the principle of greed that they buy into with the advertising. Lust makes you sticky towards sexual temptation. Anger makes you sticky towards all kinds of vicious, viciousness towards other people. Laziness, it keeps your soul absolutely doing nothing and from following through on your responsibilities. When you're lazy, you don't want to do what is the responsible thing to do. When you're lazy, you don't want to do anything. And then pride. Pride makes our souls sticky to the greatest temptation of all, which is to take the place of God and crown yourself as Lord of your life. Pride will do that. These are sins of the soul, not outside. People like to say, the problem I have with sin is because of what's outside of my body, what's outside. But Jesus... How many know when you read it in the red, you you need to get a Bible, you know, that puts all the words of Jesus in the red. I I, I tell you, when I begin to read the red of the Bible, I sit up and listen because it's the word of Jesus himself. And, And it says in Mark 7, 21, 23, it says this, Jesus saying to those who are saying, well, you know, all my problems are out there. If it wasn't for that out there and that out there and that out there, no, Jesus said this, From within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. All these evils come from where? Within. Our souls are sticky towards sin. If our soul was really pure, then when temptation came, it would be like a fried egg on a Teflon pan. It would just slide off. Why is it not like that when we're tempted? It's because of our sinful desires. When temptation comes, the soul receives it, retains it, welcomes it, and now it embraces it and holds on to it. You may think to yourself, all my temptations come from my body. No, the real problem is your soul. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he says this, your soul has the deepest hand in your sins. He says it's your soul where the problem is. It sticks to you because that's what your soul loves. Sin sticks to you because that's what your soul loves. 
Now, the next thing you need to know is this. Your soul can be lost forever. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Your soul will last forever. Your life has a beginning, but I can tell you it is not going to know an end. One day you will die, your body will be laid in the ground. And that can happen in a number of ways. You can be killed, your life can be lost in an accident, it can be ended by sickness, by cancer, by heart attack or a stroke, or you may simply grow old to the point where your body is no longer able to sustain life and function effectively. One day you will die and your body will be laid in the ground or put into an oven and your body will be over, but your soul will last forever. So don't fear those, says Jesus who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Your soul has endless life, friends. That's why it is so important. That's why you've got to grasp this this morning, that your soul is so, so important because it is immortal. It has a beginning, but it'll have no end. I have a soul, it's inside me, I can't see it, but it lasts forever. Some of you are actively trying to decide if you are going to follow Christ, knowing that it's costly to follow Christ. You need to know what's at stake. When you try to save your life, you lose it, says Jesus, but Jesus says, if you lose your life to me, you will save it. So the fact is, your soul will last forever. This is the next thing I want to tell you. Your soul will experience everlasting joy or everlasting misery. Jesus tells the story of two men that died. The one was very poor. His name was Lazarus, actually, and the others, uh, it, it was just seen and named as a rich man. So you had this very poor man that died and this rich man that died. The poor man had a trust in God. The rich man just lived for this life. This is what the Bible says. The poor man died and was carried by angels into Abraham's side. Now, Abraham's side uh, was the waiting place for those in the Old Testament period that put their faith in God. And they were waiting for Jesus to come, to die on the cross. You see, friends, listen, Old Testament saints, they looked ahead to the cross and they believed for Jesus to come. They were believing what, in what was coming. Jesus was coming. We are this side of the cross and we look back and we thank God that he came. We thank God that he came. They were looking ahead. We are looking back. This poor man was looking ahead. He put his faith in God. And now he's in the waiting place for God. In the place in Abram's side that was a safe place to be waiting. And then it goes on, the rich man also died and was buried and in Hades or hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abram afar off and Lazarus the poor man at his side. 
So one of them, one of them, the poor man was carried by angels to Abraham's side. What was carried to Abraham's side? It, it was certainly not the poor man's body. That remained on earth. He died, his body remained on earth. And since he was a poor man, he may not even have had received a proper burial. In fact, they would take poor people back then and just put them on the garbage heap to rot as far as the body is concerned. Nobody cared for him in this life. And and it was that now after he was dead, nobody cared about his remains once he was dead, just put on the garbage heap. But he was carried into Abram's side. So what was carried? It wasn't the poor man's body. It was the poor man's soul. It is that his soul was now in a safe place waiting for Jesus. And then it says the rich man died and was buried. So everyone knew where this man's grave was, this rich man's grave. His body was placed in a rich man's tomb and um, the words of his name and the dates of his birth and death were carved into the tomb and, um, and, and, and it was that he had this marvelous funeral. But Jesus said, in hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abram afar off and he saw the poor man afar off. What was, what was in hell? What was in Hades? What was in this place? What was in hell? It was not the rich man's body. It was the rich man's soul that was now lost and in hell. The point is very simple, friends. Death takes life from the body, but not from the soul. Your soul will live forever. When you die, your soul goes on in one of two places, either one of great joy or, as according to Jesus here, one of great torment. And there's a great gulf between the two, says Jesus. The gulf is not being able to, you can't cross over from one to the other. You have this life to get right with God and to walk with Jesus and to be safe forever. Because after this life, there is no other chance for you to be saved. So what do we learn from this? There's a heaven to pursue and there's a hell to avoid. You have a soul. You can be saved. Your soul can be saved or your soul can be lost. To lose your soul is the ultimate disaster. Because it's the only loss you can never recover from. You know, I, I'm, I'm um, all, always asked, this question, it's happened, I have this question asked me, I've had it asked me year after year after year, Christians, they say, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Uh, do you believe that we can lose our salvation? I, I say, as far as God is concerned, you're once saved, always saved. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to lose you, having found you. But you know, friends, it is a debate that goes on between one side of theological thinking and another side of theological thinking. 
Use where I stand. I stand square in the middle and say, hey, I'm not taking any chance. I'm going to believe to be saved. I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm not, hey, hey. There was a story of a lady that that wanted to get a a driver for her car. She wanted a chauffeur, you know. And so she had these guys come along and and maybe some ladies, I don't know. And and she said, well, before I decide which one I'm going to have as my chauffeur, I'm going to have you do a driving test. And she had them to drive her up this narrow road that went up a mountainside near her house. And so the first guy got in and he said, I'm going to show her how good a driver I am. And he drove with just about a foot from the precipice. And, and, and she got back, she said, very good. And the next driver got in and he thought, I'm, I'm going to show her how good a driver I am. And he went six inches away from the precipice. Well, well this lady driver got in. <laughs> The guy got back down and, and the guy, she said, great job, great job. But then this lady driver got in. I'm only trying to include the ladies. That's all right. Listen. But she got in. And when she got in the car and she looked at the road and she looked at the mountain, she got as far away from the precipice as she could. And the lady said, you've got the job. She wasn't interested in how clever you were going to be. She was interested in her safety. And there are Christians who try to live their life as close to the world, as close to temptation without falling over, without going back into sin. But they want to get as close to temptation as they can. Uh, But I want to tell you where I am. I'm getting away from it. I'm staying away from it. I don't want to put my soul in any risk whatsoever. How a soul can be lost. I can't think of a more critical question. Is your soul going to be saved or is your soul going to be lost? Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it. In other words, whoever is trying to live by their own good works, live by their own good deeds trying to make it and, and trying to be good, trying to, oh no, you, when it is that you're trying to save your life, you will lose it. How does that happen? How can you lose your soul? You need to write these things down. I'm going to give you three things, friends, very quickly. And, and, and how can you lose your soul? Number one, you can starve your soul. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4. He said, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what is he saying? He's saying, my word coming into your life is feeding your soul. It is keeping you now going after God. My word coming into your heart is keeping God at the center of your life. Think of the rich man in the story that we told. He lived a good life in the sense he lived well. He enjoyed life. He he dressed in purple, the scripture says. That means he was a rich man. He never really thought about his soul. He had everything that his body could need. He only lived for this world. He only lived for the riches of this world. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, 
But by every word that comes from the mouth of God, bread sustains your body. The word of God sustains your soul. But this man, this rich man, had no taste for the word of God, no hunger for it, no appetite for the things of God. He wasn't interested in these things. Jesus told another story later on in the scripture. He told about a man who was living the American dream. He worked hard. He stored up all that he needed for a long retirement. And he said to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, so relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to enjoy myself. I've earned it. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Let me speak to you in the congregation today, and you are, like me, older. You've worked hard. Maybe already you're enjoying your retirement. You've made out your will. You know who the executor of your will is. You've made them aware of what you want to happen with all your staff once you pass from this life. And you've thought about what will happen with all those things that you have gathered in your lifetime and in your possession. And you've thought about where they're going to go once you've gone. But what about you? What about your soul? How much do you care about what's going to happen with your soul once you leave this life? Why are you not thinking about that urgently? Why are you not got that at the center of your thinking right now? Why wouldn't you go after this uh, uh, in, in the sense of knowing without any doubt whatsoever that uh, my soul is right with God and uh, I'm living for him and his kingdom? Why wouldn't you want to make sure of your commitment to Christ and your commitment and trust in him for your eternal security? So the fact is, is this, friends, that it can't be possible that you starve your soul. That it is that everything matters but the Word of God. Everything matters but, but talking to God. Everything matters about, but getting around people that are going to feed you with the life-giving stuff of God and keeping God at the center of your life. You can starve your soul. But listen, not only can you starve your soul, you can strangle your soul. Jesus said this, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire of other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Let me talk to you uh, maybe at midlife. Your schedule is relentless. Your career is at the point where it's making the greatest demands on you and your time. Not only that, your kids, your kids um, are at this place of being involved in multiple, multiple activities. There was a time when your heart was tender towards God. There was a time when God was at the center of your life where you wanted your life to count for him. There was a time when your heart was given wholly to him and the cares of this world couldn't touch you. But now the cares of this world, says Jesus, they come in and they begin to wrap themselves around you like a, a vine. It, it begins to wrap 
itself around you and your whole life is taken up with the cares of this world. The desire of other things has taken hold of your heart. And the word of God has been choked and it's becoming unfruitful in your life. And you are losing your soul, says God. Jesus is talking about what happens in the lives of people who hear the word of God and receive it. But then the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches are like a vine wrapping itself around you tighter and tighter and it's strangling the life of God out of you. And God is saying, I can't just sit by and watch that happen. Now, so you can starve your soul, you can, you can strangle your soul, but here's the last thing that I want you to get on this, you can surrender your soul. Oh no, no don't get the wrong idea about what I'm talking about here. In the first book of Peter, Peter is speaking, and he says in chapter 2 and verse 11, Beloved, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against the soul. Uh, let, let me speak to those who are young here this morning. God says there are passions of the flesh and they wage war against your soul. They wage war. They, it means that these passions of the flesh wants to destroy your soul. It is that there are temptations that come. And they come and they work on your soul. They seek to stick into your soul. And it is that they come, you are tempted with some passion. And you give yourself up to it. And you is what is happening. You are surrendering your soul to sin. And you're surrendering your soul to the devil. You are surrendering yourself. You are raising the white flag of surrender to the temptations of life. You're saying to the enemy of your soul, you win. I concede I'm yours. You can take me captive. Think about that the next time you're tempted, whoever you are and whatever age you are. When you give in to temptation, you are surrendering to sin and you're surrendering to the devil who may wage war against your soul. They are seeking the destruction of your soul. They're out to take your soul captive. You have been, you've been going through a tough time. You've been going through a hard time. And, and, and you have even thought, what's the use? Does God even know? Does God even worry? Does God... Listen, listen, listen. There's a war going on for your soul. And you can't let the devil win. You can't surrender to the enemy. You can't give in to the enemy. Your soul is of great value. It lasts forever. It's not just this life. And the stuff of this life that you are concerned with now will have no bearing. It will have no matter to you when you are in eternity. But the devil doesn't want your eternity to be with God. He wants it to be lost forever in hell. If you surrender your soul to sin... It will be to your everlasting loss. And you'll have no one to blame but yourself. Now maybe you can see all these three things working in your life. Maybe it is that you've allowed 
yourself to be in a place of starvation of the word of God. That it is that you have stopped pressing into God in prayer like you used to. And you're starving your soul. Maybe, maybe it is that you've strangled your soul. And you're in the place where the cares of this world and the, the materialism of the world and the, and the anxieties of the world are now strangling the word of God within you and taking you away from that sincere following of Jesus Christ, taking you away from that place where you once were, where you are totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. The passions of this world have made war on you. The passions of your flesh uh, have become sticky in your soul. And the truth is, you're losing your soul. Every day, every week, and every year, your soul is being starved. It's being strangled. It's being surrendered to inch by inch until it will be lost. So what can you do? Well... There was an old saint, his name was Bishop Ryle, and he said this, the first step towards heaven is to find the worth of your soul. And what I'm trying to get over to you this morning is the value, the worth of your soul. That it is that your soul is that which is going to last forever. The things of this world, the cares of this world, the, 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 the passions of this world, all the stuff of this world will end, but your soul will go on forever. It is of great value. Thank God, thank God if that is coming alive in your mind this morning. Thank God if it's coming alive. My soul is of great value. The soul that is saved is the soul that is given to Jesus Christ. If you see the value of your soul, then you will respond to Jesus Christ this morning in a right way. You will come to Jesus and you will say to him, Jesus, you have called me to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. And I haven't done that. Without you, I'm going to starve my soul. I'm going to strangle my soul. I'm going to surrender my soul to the devil. I need you to be my Lord and Savior and the captain of my soul. I need you to feed my soul. I need you to guard my soul. And I need you to save my soul. Jesus, right now, I need to turn my entire life, all that I am, over to you and place my soul wholly in your hands. To place my life totally into your hands. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me, Lord. Give me a new heart. Take away this stony heart and give me a heart that loves you, desires you, and submits to you. I want you to do that this morning. Because Jesus said, 
What advantage would it be? What advantage would it be to you if you were to gain the whole world and lose your soul? So here's what I want you to do, friends. I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar this morning. I I felt the Lord say, I want you to just pray a prayer uh, with people who are needing to surrender to me. There are people here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Your soul is lost right now. It's on the way to hell right now. If you should die like right now, you would be like the rich man. You would be looking and seeing into heaven from hell. What a disaster. You may be here today and you walk with God, but you know you're not walking with him like you ought to. You you know that you've been starving your soul and strangling your soul. And and you've even surrendered some to to the devil. and, And you know you need to get it right. You don't need to leave this place with any doubt about your soul. You don't need to leave this place without having said, Jesus, I'm now asking you to be the Lord of my soul. I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. I'm asking you to go with me into the future, Jesus, and to help me so that I won't strangle and I won't starve the soul and I won't surrender to the devil and to temptation. I need you. I need you. And I need you today. I need you now. And I want to pray with you. So if that's you, I want you to stand right now. And you're going to have a lot of guts to do this because some of you don't, you're worried about what other people think about you. You've got to forget that. You've got to have a bit of a, a, a bit of a serious think about yourself, your soul. And so if that's you, I want you to stand right now. And you're saying, Jesus, I surrender my soul to you. I'm not taking any chances with this. It's too precious. It's too valuable. And if you have any doubts whatsoever, I want you to stand. Now, the Holy Spirit told me, don't rush this, John, because some people will find that the devil is battling with their minds. And I've got to give a chance for Jesus to win this battle in your life. As you now find something inside of you saying, you need to be on your feet. You know you need to be on your feet. But what will my wife think? What will my husband think? What will, what will? Forget that. Get it right. Don't let this day go. Don't miss this moment. Don't let this moment pass. That you're saying, Jesus, I want to be sure about my soul. And I, I, I'm not going to leave it to chance. I'm not going to leave it to hope. I'm not going to hope that what those theologians says about once saved, always saved. No, no, don't, don't leave it to thinking about what theologians say. Say, right now I'm going to listen to my heart and my soul and I know I need to surrender to you. That's right, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is moving. That's right. Stand the moment you know that Holy Spirit is tapping you and saying, get up. This is your moment. You're going to come back to God. You're going to surrender again to God. Anyone else?
Now, I believe that God is still working on some people. So here's what I want those who are standing on your feet to do right now. I want you to pray in your mind, in your heart. And I want you to just say, Jesus, you know me. Can't hide a thing from you. And Jesus, will you forgive me for my wanderings and going astray? I surrender my life afresh to you this morning. I give myself to you. Forgive my past. Give me the assurance that you're going with me out into the future. I'm trusting you with my soul. I'm giving you my soul. I'm not going to try and work my way there anymore, Jesus. I'm going to trust you with my soul. I want you to be praying something like that this morning, right now. And I'm going to wait just one minute more here for others who need to be on your feet. I I know you're there and you're battling it in your mind. And the Lord is telling me to just plead with you to give in to Jesus. To say yes to Jesus. Is there anyone else? Right now. Jesus, I surrender my soul to you. you on your feet, raise your hands to heaven right now, I'm going to pray for you. Father, right now as we stand with surrendered hands when we lift our hands, we're saying I surrender to you Holy Spirit Father, right now I pray that everyone standing on their feet will know that this day this day will never be forgotten in their lives This is the day when surrender takes place. This is the day when they now say, Oh, Jesus, I need you to rescue my soul. And Jesus, I need you to care for and to nourish and to help me as I walk through this life towards the next where I will live forever in heaven. Jesus, I pray right now that everyone here will know that they're going to get divine help to begin to live with you as their focus, to begin to live not trusting in their own works, but trusting in you, not living, Lord Jesus, in a way of letting the fire go low, not living in the way of neglecting your word and living in a way of starving their soul or allowing the cares of this world to strangle their soul or to be in the place where they're giving in to temptation over and over, but they will draw on your help to keep their soul. Father, will you hear my cry? Bless these wonderful people, I pray. And bless us all as we walk with you and put you in charge of our soul. I ask it in your name. Lord, I just pray. I just pray that Riverside's corner in heaven will be packed with people who have allowed you to care for their soul. Father, hear me in the name of Jesus. You may be seated. And just give God praise right now for us.